Hi, Yvette. How are you? I'm great, Jason. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining the Now of Work podcast. It's so great to have you. I love being here. I've been looking forward to uh, to having this conversation with you. So thank You're you. You're joining from? I'm joining from uh, just outside of Denver, Colorado, where it fortunately has not been snowing for a few days, so uh, I can actually see the green of the grass outside. And a nice sunny day. It is. It's beautiful. And Good. you, are you are you calling from your home? Office, I am. Or? I'm in. Uh, I'm in rainy Southern California today. So, uh, I mean, you know, when it rains here in Southern California, it's the uh, everyone goes crazy. Just like uh, you know, it's the end of the world. So, so, but it doesn't rain in California, right? Oh wait, no, of right course. now. So if you combine this and this thing, I don't know if you've heard of this thing, coronavirus. Um, <laughs> the, the two of those things together, like people aren't very happy here today. So you're a, you're a breath of fresh air on a rainy there day. There you go. There you go. So, hey, um, I've known you for a long time. We've hung out in lots of places, Asia, Europe. I think we've been on, well, we haven't been to Antarctica, but I think we've been in both places together. (laughs) Um, But uh, I'd love for you to share with the audience a little about your background, because like you and I have worked in multiple capacities in the past. um, And your background is so fascinating because you've been on the vendor side, you've been on the analyst side, and it's one that... um, you know, most people should be jealous of because you have an amazing perspective of the industry. So would you mind? No, no, no worries. And in fact, you didn't mention where I got my start, which is actually as an HR practitioner. Don't forget so, that part, right? Your parents <laughs> raised you to be an HR practitioner, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. I drank, uh, I drank HR, HR policy as a, as a child. Now, so I've been in the, the uh, HCM industry for you know, over 30 years. And I did start as an HR practitioner in HR benefits, HRIS administration. And I spent 12 years actually in, um, in San Francisco, uh, Bay Area, um, and Sacramento, um, you know, working as, a, as you know, really a, a jack of all trades across those areas, writing policy, uh, implementing uh, software, um, customizing the heck out of it to deliver some of the first benefit statements to people, um, writing policies for health plans and pension, et cetera. So it was really, really a great experience. And, and after that 12 years um, and having spent so much time working in the, the HRIS side, and as I said, doing a lot of customizations to deliver very personalized information. So it's always been my focus is people. Um, I made the leap over to the technology side. So my first job um, back in the 90s in the technology space was at PeopleSoft. And that began probably a 20-year span or so um, of uh, working in product, <clears throat> excuse me, product management, product strategy, um, alliances, marketing, all kinds of different roles, but largely around um, identifying the needs of, of, uh, of organizations and future trends and translating that into uh, technology. So, so hey, can I, ask you, can I interrupt yeah. you for a second? Because I don't get to ask this question that often, but it's one that's always, um, I'm always curious about. So how much do you think that it helped you to be a practitioner before you became, you moved to the technology side? Because you and I have talked about this before. There's lots yeah. of people that jump in on the tech side that have never been a practitioner. So yeah. I'd love your, I know that a little off topic, but I've always wanted to talk about that. No, that's a great question. So 
I was polite when I said I spent a lot of my time in HR customizing the software. The term I used at the time was bastardizing the hell out of the software. <laughs> <laughs> because as a user, as an HR member, we've all dealt with the challenges of poorly designed software, software that's designed for very rigid purposes. And really back in the early 90s, it was very um, administrative focused, right? And not about the end user at all. And so all of those challenges I had over 12 years working with software, customizing it, bastardizing it, as I like to say, um, I absolutely took that, that into my experience when I went into to, uh, to PeopleSoft and then subsequent companies, Oracle and um, SAP and Saba and other places, um, understanding not just um, the, the ease of setting up the administrative pages or running reports, um, but also, you know, how easy is it to keep the software up to date? Yep. Um, how do you impose or, you know, the software companies deliver um, changes to their customers, but as a receiving customer, it feels like it's being imposed upon me a lot of times, or at least it did back in the 90s. So, so it's a great question. Yeah, it definitely so, informed how I thought about it. So that's been like 20 years, basically, over that span. Yeah. I mean, not to put, yeah. not to age you or date it, but I mean, that's been 20 well, I was some years. I was six when I started in HR, so you can do the math from there. Well, I was just taking the name of the vendor, the PeopleSoft vendor. So that's been 20 some years, basically, that yeah. you've been that. So how far have we come, in your opinion? Yeah. So, I mean, well, you, know, you, you talked about some of the problems then. Are they still problems? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you. You know, you asked about my background, and, and I didn't just stay. I, I want to answer your question, but I want to set the stage for it. I didn't just stay in technology. Um, I spent about uh, five or six years working as an industry analyst at Gartner, at Constellation Research, and that prepared me like no, no other job to understand from, from a, a, a macro and a micro level what, what are the real pain points across all these different organizations, right? So um, talking to literally thousands of customers every year, coaching them on software acquisition, hearing the challenges, talking with CTOs and heads of HR, <clears throat> and then ultimately moving on into my own consulting business, um, over, you know, starting as a technology player and then moving into uh, the industry analyst side gave me such a, a wide breadth of experience. And so as I look back over, you know, where we were then and where we were now, I, I, I mean, the changes are, are truly like night and day in some areas. And in other areas, it feels like 1990 all over again. So we've made great strides. Uh, in focusing on people. Uh, we are delivering, we've moved from self-service employee and manager uh, self-service ex uh, experiences to employee and people experiences, um, chat bots that are very interactive. I mean, the whole experience for individuals um, is becoming more consumer-like. It, it still is a difference in the consumer apps versus what we see on the enterprise side, but that gap is closing and it's closing um, much more rapidly. The pace of closure is accelerating um, compared to you know, the pace of closure in 10 years ago. But there are still so many processes that haven't changed. I, I look at um, the process of hiring people right, and going through the, the background check process. And do you know that we're still using things, um, the whole manual, talk to people, pick up the phone, um, transfer some paper, et cetera, processes that are over 100 years old are still yeah. in use today. With all the great technology advancement, 
we're still relying on outdated information, manual processes, um, having to filter through information that's inaccurate and trying to find the truth of it. It's um, it, it, there's it, there's a world of, of difference um, in in how much change has happened, you know, a lot and a little all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's hardly what you would call agile or it's hardly what you would call uh, flexible or hardly what you would call efficient, you know, in the world we live in today. And, you know, when we started this podcast, um, you know, three or four weeks ago, we, you know, we called it now of work on purpose because, you know, for a long time I've been saying it's 2020 outside of work you know, what's, what year is it inside of work, you know, and it, it does in many organizations and many processes feel like the 90s or the 2000s, you know, yet I truly think that what's happened in the last three to four weeks around, you know, coronavirus, unfortunately, and how everything in the world has basically come to a pause, um, you know, that the, it's 2020 outside of work, and guess what, now it's 2020 inside of work, and a lot of organizations are scrambling to be like, whoa, what, you know, what happened what do we do next? So it, it, that being said, tied to the now of work, um, what's, what are you working on now? Um, you know, and because I mean, some of the stuff that you're working on now is really, you know, it, you know, probably three to six months ago, one would have called it futuristic. Mm -hmm. uh, and there still might be people that call it futuristic, but all of a sudden it's thrust itself right into the now of where we are. Yeah, if we keep talking about the future of work, <clears throat> it seems to give us the approval to wait until tomorrow to address it. But we can't do that anymore. And I think this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this pandemic, which I do not have, <clears throat> that's not <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> uh, it, it's really brought it to the fore. So what I'm working on is actually trying to fix this broken uh, system we have of data exchange on individuals. You know, I mentioned the hundred-year-old processes we have in the background industry. Um, fundamentally, it takes too long for individuals to get to new work and education opportunities. There's way too much repetition, repeated processes over and over again. I, I pay $500 for background check. I go to work. I quit three months later. I start another job. My, my employer pays another $500 for the same work, and I'm frustrated as an individual. Um, there's a lot of friction in the process of connecting people to work, um, that, that time that's involved. Um, there's a lot of the, the, um, you know, the data that we rely on as employers when we're screening people is based on the CVs, the resumes that we're given, and we know that that data is is filled with inaccuracies. Over 80% of the information uh, of companies report that they find inaccuracies on resumes. Um, and as an individual, as an individual, I struggle with presenting myself and competing effectively in the market when my data is spread across so many different systems. I've got data locked in, in, in my particular case, you know, five or six different employer systems. Um, I've got education that I'm taking online because I believe in lifelong learning, but they're, in, they're coming from platforms that are not connected with other employer systems. Um, I've got degrees and coursework that, you know, again, is locked in in different systems. How do I present a comprehensive picture of who I am, what I'm capable of, my experiences, my skills, my capabilities, my interests in a way that's trusted, that will get me to work and, and educate opportunities faster and and it doesn't depend upon um, the availability of, of systems you know being up and, and paying you know for expensive 
kinds of background checks. So the project that I'm working on or the initiative that I've been working on actually for two years now um, is the development of uh, essentially what we call the Internet of Careers. It's a public utility layer, open source, meant to support the transfer of the credentials of individuals from their source to me as an individual. All of the employers I've worked at, the training I've taken, whether through formal academics or online, ultimately, I want to assemble on my mobile phone a comprehensive, trusted profile um, of, of all of that background. And we're using blockchain technology to do it. Blockchain enables us to anchor these credentials and to demonstrate their validity without storing personal information online. And eventually, when I'm ready to apply for a job, to apply for some gig work, and I, um, or I, I'm a trucker and I want to demonstrate that I'm able to move this, this, uh, this material from point A to point B, that all I have to do is show my credentials, share them, I choose who I share them with, and I'm ready to work. There's no delay, there's no inaccuracies in my data, it's all completely validated and constantly updated with each new learning, each new job that I take, et cetera, each new project that I complete. <clears throat> it's about self-sovereign identity, and um, ultimately it's about putting people back in control of their data. That's the project I've been working on for the last two years. Holy cow. It's so, a small thing. <laughs> so this sounds like something that gets you a statue out in front of the HR technology conference. Uh, or or puts like, my face on a dartboard. Because yeah, honestly, yeah. Or this something, it sounds like something that gets you a statue out uh, somewhere. So like out of all things to like pull out of the air and grasp and hold on to and uh, champion, which is truly yeah. championing and breaking the way, I mean, back to like a Moneyball theory, we could use a Moneyball quote and say, you know, you're changing the way people have scouted for hundreds of years. You're changing the way organizations have thought about data, you know, yes. people data for hundreds of years. Like, why this, why now, well, or two years ago, you know, and then why now is it even more important than it was two years ago? Yeah, so, you know, quite honestly, this mindset that uh, employers, that um, educational institutions own your data, is, is, it, it cannot be sustained. Individuals are getting frustrated that they don't have control over their data, they don't know how it's being used, um, and this, it, it, we're seeing it a lot in the consumer side, but it's, it's um, you know, even legislation has started to change. GDPR over in Europe has said, not only do I have the right to say erase my data, but I have the right to say I want to take it with me. And more and more surveys are showing that people want to own their data. Um, but as I said, you know, we've got outdated systems. There's so many inefficiencies. It's taking too long and there's still too much risk in our systems on how we connect people and work and people and opportunities. And I'm talking about students, you know, who newly want to get into the workforce and so forth. Um, you know, I guess one, one, a couple of examples. Um, uh, I mentioned, you know, from the, the trucker situation, it's, uh, it's, it's not an uncommon situation as a, um, as a, a, a trucker that when I go to pick up a, um, uh, when I go to, to uh, get work and pick up a, um, a, a shipment, you know, to, to haul to, from point A to point B, I have to prove that I've got, you know, the licensure, I've, I've had the physical um, testing, I've got the DMV records, etc. There's a series of credentials and things that I have to present before I can move that load. 
And, and Jason, it can take anywhere from two to five days before yeah. I'm valid to take that load. And what's happening? For that time, I'm losing money. The supply chain isn't being fulfilled. You know, the owner of that that product uh, that's not being shipped is losing money. It's just a really inefficient system. This situation we're facing now with the outbreak is making it ever so much apparent that we have to have better control of our information and be able to get to work faster. Um, I was just reading, I'm, I'm based in Colorado, and um, you know we closed down all non-essential business a couple of weeks ago, and one of those was the casino workers. Um, so many, many people were put out of work. Casinos um, are non-essential, right? Casinos are non-essential? Apparently. Is skiing uh, non-essential? <laughs> skiing is non-essential too. It's really, really sad. So what is essential? Well, I'll tell you. What's exciting is that these casino workers came, um, uh, were put out of work, but we found um, through conversations, you know, our industry found that the background requirements for casino workers are very, very similar to the background requirements for those who work in the cannabis industry. Mm. And guess what? The cannabis industry is an essential industry here in Colorado. Somehow it's one of the things like liquor stores and healthcare workers and grocery and pharmacy, it is an essential job. And so um, the industry has been able to move these people very quickly from the casino work that they lost out on to this cannabis work. Now, some of them will return to the casinos in the future, some will not. But it's really great that because there's this expedited process and a knowledge of the capabilities and certifications of these people, we can put them to work right away. But that is such a small, small percentage of the people who are out of work. There's over 16 million people out of work in just the last three weeks here in the United States. And so the question is, how much do we know about those people? How quickly can we transport them to other areas, if not other work within our organizations? How quickly can we say, we know enough about you and we have trust in your credentials and your validated background skills experiences to put you to work in another area, to move you from retail into warehousing or from warehousing into um, you know, some, some other part of the supply chain. Um, again, ultimately, the more individuals are able to assemble and aggregate a comprehensive trusted profile, and the more employers and, and uh, you know, those who are offering project work are able to quickly access a more comprehensive profile that's trusted, the better we and faster we can get people to work. It's so much more important now than ever. And yet so we're not ready. Is this something that employees, is this something that you get vendors to agree to somehow a standard format? Is this something that you take all data and turn it into a standard format? Like how does, like, where's the, where, where's the middle, where does, how does this all come together? Yeah. You know, the only way to make this work is if we have the entire industry, the entire global labor market and all of its constituents engaged. Sounds like an easy thing to do. Yeah, it is. You know, you just say, hey, everybody jump on board. So when we, uh, when my partner and I founded this, um, this foundation, it's called Velocity Network Foundation. Um, uh, we started working on it two years ago and uh, putting the protocols, the governance, the infrastructure in place and so forth to bring the, the global industry players together and drive these protocols so that from an HR or an education technology perspective, they are ready to 
process the credentials from their constituents, right? A, a major HR tech player can um, connect and, and ensure that they're ready to commit records grounded by blockchain, but to an individual's um, device by deploying that in their software. And in turn, one technology vendor then can, can deliver this capability to 10,000 employees or customers who in turn can deliver it to hundreds of millions of end user employees. So this ecosystem, this massive um, network effect um, is, is only achieved when the industry comes together. One or two tech vendors isn't going to do it. One background check vendor isn't going to do it. Two even major employers isn't going to give us this capability. So we have been working to bring the industry together. Mm. Today we have about 16 major organizations that we've communicated. We're actively signing additional now that we haven't announced. But our 16 founding members represent over 800 million individuals wow. who potentially benefit from day one as this all becomes publicly available. So is there something so, that, is there something that yeah. enterprises have to do or is it something that, that individuals have to do or is this just because you, uh, you're a customer of one of those vendors you know, you have this infrastructure. Yeah, we're, it's, it's going to be launched out in, in many different ways. I mean, the most natural network effect is through the technology vendors, HR, education, staffing, gig work platforms, their ability to deliver uh, this, this access to the infrastructure to their customers and in turn to the individuals. So the customers should simply have to accept the software change. And then the, so the customers themselves turn to their employees and say, hey, from now on, anytime we make changes, you can accept it in your digital wallet or not. You control the data, you control what you accept, you control what you share in the future. But there's also uh, direct consumer plays, right? It's very possible that working with background check vendors. You know, we, we do background check vendors in the employment space, but why not deliver that directly to the individual, like a student, and we see that's happening in the market today. Background check vendors do um, student assessments and backgrounds so that students as they're transferring schools or entering the workforce can literally share their digital credentials. We're just trying to anchor it on the blockchain and make it available on their mobile device and make it trusted. So there's consumer plays, there's, there's uh, company plays, there's a multi-prong approach because this is the internet of careers, so there's a, uh, many different approaches based on the part of the industry that you represent, staffing, gig work, et cetera. So this is now, this isn't future. Oh, this is now. This yeah, is I mean, now. again, we, so we, we are actively working with these organizations. Uh, we're in our um, uh, test net stage. Uh, we've got various uh, drops coming out, but we'll be fully live uh, in the first part of next year, Q1. Um, our, our founding members and other new members going with us. But it's now because we're able to uh, do the testing, show the use cases, show how in certain industries we can solve these, you know, long time to work problems by facilitating, you know, better sharing of trusted credentials. Um, it's imperative now that we, we speed up these processes. So um, we're, we brought the industry players together. We're continuing to build out the foundation. And I, I got to tell you, Jason, I have never... I, I've worked in major organizations, right, in, in the top uh, top tier HCM vendors, at top tier advisory firms. In all of my life, I have never worked on something that I thought was so, so impactful for the world. And personally, I look at my, my, my son who's 16 and entering the work world pretty soon. 
he's excited. He wants to know how does he create his credentials on the work he's doing now, the internships he's getting in, engaged in. How does he start to build his profile so he can take it with him and have the best opportunities forward? That is what I am super excited about. Changing the future today, right now. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And it truly is. Like, I mean, like we talk about, it truly is the now of work. Um, so I want, at, at, the, at the end, we'll talk about how people get a hold of you and put all the con- sure. you know, information in the show notes. But speaking of now of work, you know, you painted this really, you painted this picture that got me really, really excited about the future, um, which is great. But you and I have been in the HR space for a long time. And I think we, we've had false excitement um, peaks uh, throughout our careers where we're like, oh, HR is changing. HR is becoming more strategic. HR has got to sit at the table. You know, pick your cliche. Right. Um, you know, based on where we are now and what you're seeing in the industry and, and tie it back a little to the situation we're in, like what's your, what's your green, yellow, red on, you know, the HR function today? Are you optimistic about it? Are you pessimistic about it? Like you know, what are your thoughts? So is it is it a complete cop out to say I'm I'm of two colors at this point? No. I mean, with, literally, with 16 million new unemployment claims in the U.S. alone in three weeks, how can it be anything other than red? Right. I, I, how do, as an HR professional do you effectively deal with the volume and the culture impacts and preparing for re-entry if whenever we come out of this so i i i mean it's you know <laughs> the market's on fire in a lot of ways but i but i also though have some optimism you know i would say you know i i'm i'm feeling yellow about the function that there's there's you know still some bad actors but there's so much good going on i'm seeing um, I'm seeing a lot of organizations who are um, focusing on, um, you know, better communications and starting those those daily and weekly check-ins. Not with where are you on work, but how are you? How is your family? Is there are there things that we can do? Maybe we can't, you know, fill your fulfill your needs. We can't guarantee pay for the next six months, but what can we do? The personal touch, the empathy is there, the trust. So many, so many people now working from home in jobs that weren't necessarily best suited to work from home, but there's a tremendous amount of trust being demonstrated. Um, I mean, again, you'll find the occasional bad actor. I've, I've seen and read stories about, you know, oh, my boss makes me log on to Zoom and monitors me eight hours during the day. I, a small, small fraction of employers are doing that for the most part. Do the work that you do. It's fine if your kids or your cat run across the screen. It's about getting the work done when it needs to get done. So empathy, trust is, is great. We're seeing a greater investment in technology. Um, so all of these digital initiatives that organizations had, um, you know, a lot of them were ideas, but they weren't acting on them. They've been caught off guard and they've had to make some quick moves on yep. finding free or low cost technology, but they're doing it and they're enabling people. And I also love from the tech perspective, so many tech vendors are offering discounted or, or free services and technology to enable their customers and the global community. So I feel really positive about that. And, and as I think about the future, as we come out on the other side of this, the near term future, I think a lot of this will still stick. I think the mindset of greater trust and empathy will remain. Um, now it's not that things will be 100% different. I was looking at a survey recently 
you know, how many, how many uh, more companies will adopt work from home strategies. And a lot more will adopt them, but it's not going to be for the majority of their workforce. As yeah. I got into the details of this survey I was looking at, it really looked like maybe um, 8 to 10% in total of those who are eligible to work from home will be working from home where they're not today. But many more companies will have work-at-home people. It's just that it won't necessarily be the majority of their workforce. But you know what? Incremental steps are an improvement. No, and I yeah. think you know, so I, I just think the cultures are changing and I have a, a positive outlook for that. We're going to see a lot of returning to normal behaviors and some bad things, but there will be incremental improvements and new ways of thinking. You know, I, I, I know the study you're talking about and I dissected it a bit as well. And the thing that I found fascinating about that study is um, in the organizations that we work with, people are actually working better from home than the executives in those organizations thought they would. Uh, it's been one of the big surprises for executives out of this whole thing is that, and it, you know, it should be kind of like, duh, because this is how people live their lives outside of work. But, you know, the fact that, oh, people are actually, they're actually a little more productive at home than they were before. Oh, and by the way, you know, it's, they're not driving to work for an hour, hour and a half like they were before. Oh, and by the way, you know, we don't have as much pollution as we did before. Oh, you know, and by the way, you know, they're even working at night a little more than they did before. Like, there's actually a lot. I think that study underestimated, actually, the amount of people that are going to I, I, I do hope so. And your, your point about flexibility, I mean, companies have touted their flexible work days, you know, but we haven't truly taken it to true flexibility, which is, work when you want. I mean, there's a few companies who have had, you know, unlimited PTO policies, work, take off, whatever, but, but they've been the minority. Yeah. But you're yeah. right. These surveys and, and the results we're seeing every day now from these work at home um, experiences are opening a lot of eyes. And so it's really exciting to think about, you know, how we might restructure some work um, in the future as we, as we come back. I, I say now it's, it's the future, but we're talking three, six months from now. We're not. Yeah. And, and do we now. just call it work and do we yeah. not worry as much about home or a physical work location? Do we just say, I mean, the concept of work from home just goes away. And we well, just say it's exciting too. I mean, when we talk about work from home, you know, we're still talking about, um, you know, a lot of white collar type work. Yep. Uh, we're, we're still not talking about the majority of people who have been impacted by this outbreak. Right. You know, what's exciting is how even that work is changing. So restaurants, et cetera, you know, uh, are now, um, you know, focusing on delivery and takeout, you know, delivery from restaurants who never did it before. Yep. And now, you know, new skill sets, new pay opportunities for people, depending on if they've got their driver's license, etc. I mean, the, the, the type of work and the way we're delivering work, even in very traditional environments is, is shifting. So I, again, I think there's new opportunities and new ways to think about how we're delivering services and what we're delivering to our customers in the future. Um, it, it, in the way I keep saying future, but honestly, we're talking three months from now, two months. Yeah, from I now. mean, whenever, I mean, what I've been saying is we're standing at the corner of uh, confusion and uh, opportunity, you know, mm -hmm. when we're right at that intersection right now of opportunity and confusion. And when that happens, innovation occurs and Indeed. all of a sudden you see restaurants becoming your grocery stores, which yes. like, hmm, never, you know, interesting, but why right. not? Right. You know, it's just, it's different, but why not? Um, you know, who would have thought that Starbucks coffee shops would be the places where a lot of people did their work 
uh, yeah. 15 years ago. So, exactly. you know, a lot, we don't know how a lot of that works, but I think the fascinating thing for me, which I'm a little more yellow to green is, you know, I truly think that if people uh, just forget about the past and truly come out of this and realize that they have an opportunity to invent, uh, you know, and whether it be reset or rephrase or refocus on things that truly, truly matter, um, I do think we have an opportunity to turn a corner instead of uh, take steps back. We are, we are seeing some really nice innovations along those lines. And I think the challenges that we're facing every single day are forcing some new ways of thinking. Um, the question is, will we be able to um, embrace these new ways of, of work and thinking um, and will our you know, political systems allow us to focus on people and new ways of work or will shareholders demand you know, um, a, a quick return to old to get to you know, the highest profitability? I, I worry a little bit about that balance between the people function and the economics function and, and um, you know, the, 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 the competing goals um, sometimes yep. and how, how companies deal with it. And that focus on profitability. Uh, I honestly, I mean, a scenario I saw here recently was, you know, a, a major craft store who, you know, was not closing, even though they were not deemed essential, but they positioned themselves as that. And um, ultimately, when they were forced to close, it was uh, in, a, in a manner where they didn't pay people, they, they didn't allow them to use pay time off to extend their pay, they're let go without without benefits, etc. And um, all of that to really, at the end of the day, retain as much profitability for that organization as possible. And that flies in the face of innovative new ways of thinking and working and deploying people and building community. So, uh, you know, again, that will tamper down the innovation opportunities, that'll tamper down my, my green to to yellow, but uh, I know overall there will still well, be. Let's not. Uh, let's work together to make sure we try to not let that. Stuff. Indeed, indeed. And I guess the final piece I'll say um, on you know kind of my hopes for the future, if nothing else, if nothing else, um, I think what we're going through now has shown the need for more um, insight into. Um, our people, our customers. Uh, I see a lot of layoffs um, of, of people who really should, you know, and could be redeployed, but we're doing it because we don't know of all their skills and capabilities. Um, we're not doing effective workforce planning scenarios for the future yeah. because we don't necessarily have the right data. So I hope through all of this, companies are learning that they can no longer put off their, their, um, those initiatives that are about getting to better people insights and capturing more data and helping people capture additional data about themselves, as I was talking about on the profile side. Um, it, it, if we don't have the right insights, right data, we can't effectively um, you know, move forward in, in a lot of these uh, possible innovation scenarios. So I hope that that comes as a higher priority uh, when we come out of this. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and, and you know, my, my, what I've been saying all day to people, well, all the last three or four weeks is, you know, hope, we hope it will, like we have to make it, you know, we have to make it because it's not just going to happen automatically. So, hey, I would love for you to share how people can get a hold of you, all the different ways, whatever way you want to be uh, reached. And then I always end these with what I call OMT, which is one more thing. And you're always one of the more, you know, you've always been one of the more positive people, you know, in the space. Um, in life. And I'd love to, to understand just one thing, one piece of advice you give people to keep yourself positive. So, 
you know, you have a family, you're working, you're starting a statue based, a foundation that's going to get you statues. Like how do you stay positive in times that are uncertain? So start with the contact info first and then jump into your secrets. Yeah, sure. Well, a good a good way to get a hold of me is always through LinkedIn. So I'm just simply Yvette Cameron um, at LinkedIn, and the same hash, uh, the same uh, moniker at Twitter. Um, and uh, my email is yvette.cameron at velocitycareerlabs.com. But really, try me on LinkedIn. And um, I uh, I think from I think from a staying positive, uh, I. I am very fortunate to live in a state that is sunny over 300 days a year. Um, it might only be zero to one degrees Fahrenheit outside, but it's sunny and blue and very, um, very surprising. So for me, I, what I always try to tell people, no matter what, if you can get outside in any capacity, open your window, get on your deck, go to your front yard if you have one. If you're living in an apartment and you're on the interior side, try to get to the front door, get some fresh air, but you have to take some time every day, even if it's just five minutes to get outside, get some fresh air, cold air, rain, snow, whatever it may be, and just breathe. Just be quiet, be with yourself, and just breathe. And honestly, that five-minute little meditation is truly transformational for me sometimes I'm I'm scattered I'm I'm thinking about good and bad things and I go out and I tell myself breathe and it makes all the difference so that's what I do then that's, no, what I that's awesome thank you for uh, thank you for sharing that it's a tip that yeah. uh, it's crazy everyone has their own you know and you almost have to try bunches uh, until you find something that works and it's funny every single person I ask the question they have something a little bit different um, and uh, yeah, you truly have to uh, to try your own. So, well, this was a ton of fun. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, well, Jason, a year ago, my advice was put Bailey's in your coffee, but now, now it's breathe. So, you know, we all evolve. <laughs> they may change. They may change a bit over time as well. Well, this was a ton of fun. Thank you so much you. for talking. Yeah, um, I enjoyed this. Thank you so much for the time. It, it's great. I always enjoy your insights as well. It's just, no, keep, um, doing, keep doing awesome work. All right. Well, I'll look forward to coming back to you in maybe a couple of months and give you some update on how we're progressing with this. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care Thanks. of yourself. Bye, Bye, Dave.